Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with E.A. Solkovitz about professional mentorship and being more of a giver than a taker. E.A. Solkovitz, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, John. Look forward to being able to share with your listeners. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you today. I'm excited to have a nice conversation. We're going to talk about Givers University, and and we'll share more about that here in just a moment. But we're going to overall frame this episode around the idea of professional mentorship and being more of a giver than a taker. As we get started, I wanted to share your bio with everyone. E.A. Solkovitz was born in Chicago, Illinois, the son of a milkman. And at the age of 16, he started his business career at a commission sales job selling janitorial services to business owners. At the age of 19, he met Sam Robbins and millionaire businessman from Detroit. Sam took E.A. under his wing and began to mentor him. He began working for Sam at the House of Holland Jewelers and Diamond Business, and then in 1980, Sam established a private grant meant to be part of Sam's legacy due to his lifelong fight with diabetes. Uh, Continuing on with this, Sam and EA began to formulate heart-healthy and wellness nutritious foods and drinks, and that is just a little snapshot tidbit of the back of, of what you bring to the table. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about um, how you got from there to where you're at now with Givers University, and then we'll launch on in and talk about more about uh, mentorship and being givers more than takers. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, John. I look forward to that. And uh, I uh, appreciate the bio there. Uh, You know, there's a lot in my bio, but I have to say it's still not as long as my last name. So I've got some more cut out for me. You know, I've got to get going. So (laughs) the, uh, the, and and it's interesting mentorship. I'm a huge, huge, huge advocate of mentorship because of my personal experience and, and because of mentorship is how Givers University even came about. So if I can take everyone with me on a stroll back in history, if you will, to sort of explain how. I got connected with a word I didn't even know what mentor meant when I originally realized I needed one. So if I can share that story with everyone, because it's got some interesting anecdotes that are twisted through that. As you mentioned, uh, you know, I'm son of a milkman, very humble upbringing, nothing. My father was a distributor for a Twin Oaks Dairy and, you know, I'm 65 years old. So back then when I was five years old, milk was still in glass containers, you know, and uh, there was a milkman, you know, and that was my dad. He was, you know, and, there was a box outside every house. You know, it was amazing, John. Everyone knew there was money in the milkman box and no one ever touched it. It was, you know, different times. It was just interesting. There was always, the, no, not one time that I ever touched the milkman money. Anyway, so at 16, I became a janitor, as you mentioned. And uh, while being a janitor, I had two literally life-changing events. <clears throat> one was at 16, I was able to be bonded, which basically is insured 
so that if my buffer, when I was cleaning a place, uh, you know, buffing the floor, if it hit a piece of equipment, the insurance company would pay for it. That also allowed me to be in really expensive places and really expensive homes because of being bonded. One of the homes I was able to clean, I was in every single Wednesday cleaning her house. The name won't mean anything to your listeners until I make the movie reference. Uh, and that was every single Wednesday I was in cleaning this lady's house and her name was June Martino. Now, if you've ever seen the movie, it, it's still actually out now. In fact, just for the heck of it, I saw it again, uh, last strong end. I don't call them weekends, I call them strong ends. Uh, and it had been a year or two since I saw it. The name of the movie is called The Founder. It's with Michael Keaton uh, and he plays Ray Kroc, right? In the movie, uh, Ray Kroc, Michael Keaton, is constantly talking to this lady outside his office. That lady is a lady who house I cleaned. And uh, that, that's June Martino, who had, when I met her, had the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. And, you know, and I was from Chicagoland area, world headquarters of McDonald's was there. And I lived in actually the same town where the world headquarters was, Oak Brook. And uh, it, was re it was there for decades. It's recently moved. But so I, everyone knew in the area, everyone knew who June Martino was, right? So here I am cleaning her house every Wednesday. And one of the things, John, that was extraordinary to me was I thought to be successful, you had to be a jerk. I don't know where that came from, but in my mind, I thought you had to be me only, me first. Uh, it's only business, you know, I mean, all that kind of thing. She was so the opposite. It was incomprehensible to me. And I would look at her and watch her as I was buffing her floors and, uh, and you know, cleaning. And, and she had a full-time maid and full-time butler, but I was there to do the pool and garage, you know, all that kind of stuff, the heavier stuff, if you will. And this lady was so nice and so approachable. So one day, and I was 16 at the time. So I, I mustered up all the courage that a snot-nosed 16-year-old could muster up, shaking in my janitorial boots as I went up to her, because I'm going to ask June Martino a question. So I said, I said, hi, June. And she was so approachable, John. It was extraordinary. I mean, just always said hi, everything. You know? so, so I went up there, I said, hi, June. She said, hi. You know, she knew who I was because I was in there every week. And uh, I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. She said, well, I said, could I ask you about it? And she said, well, what's that? I said, well, the whole McDonald's thing. I'm not kidding, John. She put her arm around me, brought me in the kitchen. And I'd asked her in the morning, the entire day told me the entire story from where she worked for Ray before he had even met the McDonald's brothers when he was a milkshake mixer salesman, all the way through up to the moment we're sitting in the kitchen. She even had the maid and butlers bringing us food, right? So, I mean, she could keep telling me the story. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. This is, I got you, Martino. And she's telling me all this stuff. And it's just me. I keep looking around, see if there's someone else in the room. So she tells, by the way, the movie is chronologically, there's a lot of events that happen, but it is way Hollywood spin. You know, I, they try to make Ray, <laughs> Ray wasn't that way. Ray didn't act that way. I mean, you know, he had his moments, but you know, it, it clearly, I mean, I lived the McDonald's phenomenon, you know, in my whole life, McDonald's was coming into being, right? And knew the people, right? So, uh, but it was Hollywood spin, which is typical, but the events, there was many events that were actually nodded to that were accurate. She actually told me about one of them that's in the movie. Did you see the movie by any chance? Yeah, I did. I really enjoyed it. Uh, okay. And I, I was always curious how, how accurate it was because it really yeah. did make him out to be a complete jerk. <laughs> yeah. And, and he wasn't uh, totally not that way, you know. And if you notice, his wife gave a huge fortune to uh, Salvation Army, you know, if you look at the end. So, I mean, he lived his life totally different than the way they said Hollywood spin. Anyway, you know, having to make drama out of where there wasn't any. But a lot of the events there were not into, right? 
there's an event in the movie where June, who kept the books, goes into Ray's office and says, Ray, we're out of money. There's no money in the till. We're out of it. And that calls, causes him to call the brothers. They have an argument on the phone. I need more percentage. I need more percentage. And he slams down the phone. Right? That event happened. She told me about that event decades before the movie came out. Not the way it was portrayed in the movie, but it did happen. And she told me they made an agreement that she would work for Ray for no money. She said there wasn't any money, but I would keep working for him. And he would take some of the bill collector phone calls from me if they called me and wanted money. So I just asked her, I said, June, I said, yeah, I'm a janitor, as you know. I said, I work paycheck to paycheck. Why'd you do it? Why'd you work for no money? I said, because if I don't get paid on Friday, I'm not showing on Saturday. You know, I need my paycheck, right? Why'd you do it? John, she sat back and stared at me with this total eye lock stare. And I could tell I just asked her a question. No one ever asked her. And when she spoke, it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. And I still remember what she said and my first thought. When I asked her, June, why'd you do it? Why'd you know no money, no pay? You know, and she, and at that point, by the way, part of the agreement was he was going to give her worth less than zero company stock, worth less than zero, right? Her answer to me was, because I believed in Ray. And my first thought, John, was, that's it. That's what I need. I need a Ray Kroc. It certainly didn't work out too bad for her. You know, I'm cleaning this million dollar home and it was a million dollar home when I was 16 years old and I'm 65 now. So, you know, who knows what that was in a place called Ginger Creek outside of Oak Brook, uh, Oak Brook area still. And, uh, and, and I said, man, that, that, I need a Ray Kroc. I didn't know what a mentor was. I didn't know what, how to spell it. I spent all my hooked on phonics money probably on something else. So I, you know, so here I am thinking, that's it. I need, so I remember thinking, inadvertently doing the right thing. And I mean, inadvertently, I didn't know I was doing the right thing. I just, it just happened. I said, where's my Ray Kroc? Where would I find my Ray Kroc? Wasn't two or three months later at the same janitorial service. We get a phone call at night. The boss persuades me to go show some carpeting to this guy coming in from Detroit. I'd never estimated a carpet job. The guy was opening a diamond store. I knew nothing about diamonds. I don't even want to go. I've been cleaning all day and it was after dinner time already. And I already punched out. So my boss says, okay, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you your choice of any Saturday off. If you just go and do this carpet bid, right? By the way, for janitor, big negotiation chip, because we're cleaning on Saturdays when businesses are closed, right? So any Saturday is great, right? So here I am setting stage for your listeners, mentally fatigued. I've been cleaning all day going to meet a guy from Detroit. Seriously, I'm going to meet a guy in Detroit. I'm going to meet someone from Detroit, like a hole in the head, right? I'm going to do a carpet estimate job. And I've never estimated a carpet before. I clean them and vacuum them, but I don't know how to measure it and everything. He gives me this measuring wheel and says the column. So I have every reason I'm saying no, no, no to this. And I don't want to go. Little do I know. I'm getting ready to meet my Ray Kroc the man that would become the father I never had, even though I had a father. And I would become the son he never had, even though he had a son. And when I met him, I mean, John, have you ever had the time where you met someone and you the comfort level was so inexplicably high, it was almost like you felt you knew them already or you knew them before? Did you ever have that kind of feeling? Yeah, absolutely. And just this instantaneous connection and comfort. Uh, it's rare and it's, it's really wonderful when you find it. 
That's exactly, and that's exactly what happened with this man. So the carpet was a no sale. We only had commercial grade. He's opening a diamond store. So he wanted something real plush. So I'm throwing samples back in my car and he offers me a job. I said, man, I don't know about diamonds. Now I'm saying no, but this is about the fourth time I've said no to this whole thing here. And he said, well, I'll teach you about diamonds. I said, listen, the only thing I know about diamonds, number one, they're expensive. Number two, someday a lady's going to ask me for one. That's all I know about diamonds. He said, well, I'll teach you. And I said, no, I'm all set. As I'm walking out the door, he says, what do you have to lose? You could always go back being a janitor. He knew that would get me. And I said, no, and I left. Now, by the way, it's almost midnight because the phone call came in the office after dinner time, right? So it's almost midnight. And, and he's had to leave the next day. I remember, you know, plane to get back to Detroit. So I'm driving home and it's grinding me. He's get that's getting to me, what he said. See, I'm like, you know, he's right. I could always be back a janitor. I mean, people are always gonna make a mess. I could always clean. And what did he mean by I could always go back? It was sort of snide the way he said it. You know, he knew he was hooking me when he said it. He knew and he was right. So I, I said about halfway home, I said, you know, I'm gonna find out exactly what he meant by that. So I turned the car around thinking he's gonna be gone already, going back to the airport first thing in the morning. He's still there. So we come to agreement, I start working for him. Now I can share with you that. I was very blessed with this because I didn't know at that time that I actually had met a man who was a genius in the puritanical sense, not, not the IQ BS. And I believe the IQ is BS, right? I mean, here's a man that really, he could talk to you for 10 minutes, look in your eyes, have a conversation with you. And he had you pegged. He knew you, you know I mean? Human engineering 101 kind of person, right? And he had me pegged. So at 19 years old, I had been working for him for a few years. I said, Sam, will you teach me all of it? I mean, all of everything. Don't hold back. Because I learned at that point that he'd become Detroit's youngest self-made millionaire. I learned at that point that he earned a million dollars in one year during the depression when people were jumping off of buildings and there was multi-mile long soup lines and he earned a million in one year. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. So I learned all these things. I thought, man, this is the guy I got to learn from. I want to learn it all. There's no, you know, this is it. And uh, he's okay. I'll teach you but I want one thing from you. And I'm gonna let you know, whatever he said next, I was in yes mode, right? 
So he said, this is the one thing I want. When the time is right, and you will know that time, I want you to teach everyone else, as many people as you can, everything I've taught you. So at 19 years old, John, I made an oath. I made a vow and I made a commitment that today is known as Gibbers University. And that's how all that manifested all the way through all that time period. And, and, I, and I was able to filter all the information, banker's boxes full of notes, the things I learned from him, and, and put those actually into courses to be able to help people with a course called Give to Be Great. It's a series of three courses. Um, and then also I had a radio talk show for two years and I interviewed over 1,000 millionaires in two years and asked them all, some, the questions I asked them off the air was what I was really after. I mean, besides the fact that, you know, it was great to meet a thousand millionaires, you know, that, and, and ask them all these questions and, and put that in my circle of information. Because of all of this, what I'm about ready to say next is to impress upon your listeners. If they don't have a mentor in my world, we call that naive. That's what we call it. And the reason why is because we need to have someone on the outside that can be helping us, guiding us every step of the way, if nothing more than just their vantage point is different than ours. Because John, you have a problem, I have a problem, all business owners have the following problem. As our level of expertise goes up, so does our inability to think like a customer in direct proportion. Simply put, we're too close, we're too smart, we can no longer think like a customer. We know too much. It's, it's gone, right? So when we have someone to, like yourself, John, that helps people and coaches them and mentors them, someone that can have a different vantage point and share with them, hey, by the way, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you notice that? Here's something. Those, those things, those, that mentorship is so critical. For me, what I'm about ready to say was not because I was anything special, but I was, my superpower, I had one superpower. I had the ability to dumb up. I had the ability, the only ability, to simply say the following. You know, I don't know about that. I'd, I'd love to learn that. Could you teach me? And that was my superpower. And I just became a sponge with all these people who knew different things. And I can share with you, because of that, because of my ability to recognize I needed a mentor in my life all the time. If anything, just to give me the other vantage point that was so critical, right? And at the age of, I'm sorry, please. Yeah. So, I mean, this is fascinating. I really appreciate all, <clears throat> excuse me, all of the background um, that you're sharing. And I completely agree. This uh, professional mentorship is absolutely key. You look at any successful individual, they didn't get there alone. I don't care how smart they are, you know, in terms of IQ, like you said, there's problems with IQ, um, but I don't care how smart they are in the traditional academic sense. Um, nobody is going to have great success in life unless they surround themselves with good people, unless they have great mentors that can help and support them and help them think through things. And there's a lot of ways to set up that mentorship. Uh, one of the things that I find really fascinating about the way you're framing things and your experience is again, this idea of being more of a giver than a taker. And I think a lot of times when we're talking about professional networking, we're talking about mentoring, um, th there's kind of this, this uh, taker mentality that people have. Like they wanna get into the relationship only if 
there's a lot that they're going to get from it. And I get, I get it from a strictly kind of um, cost benefit analysis standpoint, we all have limited time and energy and we have to prioritize and figure out where we're going to, you know, uh, spend our time and energy. But um, tell us a little bit more about why you think, you know, being more of a giver than a taker in terms of our approach and mentality to mentorship is ultimately going to pay more dividends for, I mean, it's kind of ironic, I suppose, but if I can focus on being more of a giver, I'm probably going to get more out of it too, right? I can share with you categorically, John, that what you're saying is accurate. And I became a millionaire at 23 years old. The first year I earned a million dollars in personal income after I paid taxes, not business income. This is my personal salary. I paid taxes and had a million dollars in my pocket that year. The first time I did it, I was 33 years old. I can share with you every bit of that was because I learned a skill set that was so critical, and that was to be a giver. My business mentor taught me a couple following things on those notes. Number one, when you're a giver, people will take advantage of you. Expect it. But he said the second part, no one knows and understands and haven't, hasn't heard. And here's the part. When you're a giver, people will take advantage of you. However, you're never diminished when they've taken advantage of you. They're diminished, not you. And he said, and what you've given will come back from another person, another circumstance, another event. He said, this is the way you look at the giver taker kind of thing. He said, picture the scale in your mind. And on one side, you have all the things you can give. And on the other side, you get all the things you receive. He said, now, the funny thing about the scale it strives for balance. It will never, ever be out of balance. It always balances itself. He said, so don't worry about the receiving side ever. He said, focus all your attention on heaving as much onto that giver side of the scale as possible. And you try to get it out of balance with all your might. They have that side of the scale so heavy. He said, and the other part will come back to you. And I can share with you. I don't know how many of your listeners at 33 years old earned a million dollars in one year after they pay taxes. And I can tell you, it's not me. It wasn't me. It was because I learned a skill set from my mentor and the value of being a giver and how people were compelled to do business with me because they realized I wasn't out to pick their pockets in the, uh, you know, under some other auspices. So being a giver in business is a skill that can be taught. And this one lady said a little while ago, she goes, you know, I'm afraid to be a giver because they're going to steal all my stuff. You know, I told her, you need more stuff. If they can steal it from you that fast, you don't have a lot of stuff to deal with. You need to get on some self-improvement because they shouldn't be able to steal your stuff. So uh, that's a little bit on that scale I wanted to share with your listeners. Think of it as you can't, you try to get that scale out of balance and watch how it comes back and people, it comes back to you from unexpected sources. That's the amazing thing about it. It's many times not from the source you gave to, but I can share with you from a financial input, absolutely, unequivocally, inarguably, besides that, I'm pretty sure that it really works. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, I am a believer, whether, whether you think about it in more spiritual terms, such as karma or, you know, just putting good out into the universe and having it come back to you, uh, or from a, a strictly secular kind of a perspective where you're just, when you're, when you're engaging with other people in meaningful ways and providing value to other people and giving to other people, inevitably you're just putting yourself out there. You're making important connections 
and those connections may not pay off immediately. And someone may end up exploiting me, using me, taking more than they, they give back. But in my interactions with those people, I'm going to then have opportunities to interact with other people. And there's a bit of a springboard effect uh, that ultimately me doing those things now, giving now, adding value now will produce outcomes. It may not be today, but in a year, five years, 10 years from now, there will be new opportunities that will emerge that would never have happened had I not had that giver mentality. Uh, I've experienced that repeatedly in my life. And I, I am just a big believer in not, not uh, establishing professional relationships and mentoring and networking if strictly with the idea in mind that I need to get out something out of this right now, if that's your mentality, you're going to be disappointed. If that's your mentality, you're going to use and exploit people and that your, your reputation precedes you and that will become known to people and it, it's going to hurt you in the long run. Exactly right. And, and, and I, I like the way you use exploit because I think that's a really ad, a proper word um, in the explanation, but here's the part, as you know, John, they're actually exploiting themselves. They're not exploiting the other person because they're going to lose the relationship. The other person is going to catch on. And so they, there's really no way of doing it. And once the skill set is there and someone really understands that when you can wow and work on wowing every person you meet or that you have an interaction with and just over delivering, you watch how they migrate to you because you're doing something no one else is because everyone's saying, pay me up front, give me some money, you know, give me a retainer. I need all these things before I'll do anything for you. And, and I say, no, I, I'm happy to show you. I can bring you the value. I'll show you for nothing. But at that point, then you're going to need to take care of what, you know, we're going to take care of business and, the, and it's going to be in a good way. But I promise you this, I will always deliver more than whatever you are expecting. And, yes. and so we teach that in Givers University as a whole mindset. It's a, you know, through this course called Give to Be Great, this series of three courses. The giver's mindset, the giver's lifestyle, the giver's lifelong learning are the three courses of Give to Be Great. Well, EA, it has just been a real pleasure talking with you. I know at the time uh, yeah. has flown by and I need to let you get back on with your busy day. Uh, but Thank before you. we close for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about Givers University, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Great. Uh, just go to Givers, it's plural, GiversUniversity.com, sign up for our free newsletter. Um, we don't spam people. You'll get something that says you want to communicate these people. Say yes. Um, they'll get a checklist right away from Givers University. That's called the six arrows that take or shoot at Givers. A couple of days later, they'll get a great checklist. They should uh, free. All this is free. They should download it, put it in their pocket. It's the, called the 25 do's, the 25 ways that you can discern the difference between a giver and a taker. And it, it's an excellent relationship building and in your daily discernment. And then once a week after that, because we don't spam people, once a week on Thursday, they're going to get something called the Giver's Toolbox. And it's a weekly newsletter, short, sweet, to the point. And every week we give them a new tool that they can add into their relationship toolbox as a part of our newsletter. And from that, they hear about us, our courses, and, um, and, and we invest in people. So that's how they just go to our newsletter or go to our website, giversuniversity.com. Parting words uh, for your listeners, the three things that my mentor talked me into saying to myself every single day, and I've done this for 45 plus years, every single day I say these things and I can tell you they got me through thin, they got me through thick, they helped me in the best of times, 
every day I say these three things, and I pray that your listeners pay close attention and begin to say these three things to themselves every day, and they go as this. I will never give up. I will keep rising up, and I will always overcome. Perfect. Thank you so much. It has just been a real pleasure talking with you today. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what EA and his team can do, find out more about Givers University. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.